Nation, there's so many reasons out there to start taking notes on the Rocketbook. I'll list a few. One, it's a reusable notebook. When you've finished with your notes and you've scanned them into their app, you can simply just moisten the page and then wipe off with a microfiber and you can reuse that page over and over again. The best feature about the Rocketbook is you can search your notes. You will never lose a note again, which means you don't have to go back and do the valuable work you've already done because you can't find it. It is absolutely one of my favorite tools. Go to our affiliate link, scalinguph2o.com forward slash Rocketbook to take 15% off your first order of $20 or more and never lose a note again. Welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast, and nation, happy birthday to me. Today is my 47th birthday. I have seen this world go around the sun 47 times. Lucky me. I've seen so many things in my 47 years. If I was more creative, I would have come up with the top 47 things that I've experienced in my lifetime. But folks, I'm just not that creative. And unfortunately, I don't have that for you. But I will tell you that I have enjoyed every single moment of my life. And part of that life is definitely water treatment. I was introduced into water treatment when I was very young. I didn't understand what water treatment was until I got older. And then I definitely didn't understand what a great opportunity water treatment is until I got even older than that. Today, I have so many gifts in life because I found water treatment. I didn't find it. My father introduced it to me, but I made sure that when it got hard, I stayed the course and I stayed in industrial water treatment. And I'm sure glad that I did. There's so many people that I've met. There's so many experiences that I've had. There's so many great, wonderful people that I work with. And the list goes on and on. It's my wish for all of you. Here's my birthday wish that you all love the industry that you are in, that you love your job. You love your career as much as I do. And every single day, you don't have to work. You go in and you do something that you love. If you are not feeling that way, I want you to ask yourself, is there something you can do to get to feel that way? And take it from me, every day was not kittens, puppies, and rainbows. There were definitely some hard things that I've had to deal with but by and large, I truly love having the job of an industrial water treater. If you do not see yourself feeling the same way, I promise there's something out there that will make you feel that way. I hope that you have the freedom to go out and find that. Speaking of things to find, here's some things that are going on that might interest you. On May 12th, AWT is having their Crime Control and Best Practices webinar. 
We're going to have a link to that on our show notes page so you can register and see that webinar. And for you AWT members out there, they record those webinars so you can watch them at your leisure. If there are several people out there that haven't seen some of the webinars, and I haven't seen them all, there's a bunch of them out there, there's an entire library that you can go through, and there might be something out there that gives you some more information on something that you want to know. So by all means, check that out. Something else you might want to know about is the Water Environment Federation is having their Residuals and Biosolids Conference May 24th through 27th in Columbus, Ohio. Check out our show notes page for more information on that. And also coming up, the American Water Works Association is having their ACE Conference in San Antonio, Texas, June 12th through 15th. All of that information will be on our show notes page. And Nation, I hope you have already signed up for this next one that I'm going to tell you about. And I'm so excited about this because I participated in this last year. I'm talking about Team World Vision Global 6K. It's happening Saturday, May 21st. You do not have to go anywhere to do this. You can walk, you can run, you can do whatever you want to do but you need to sign up. And by signing up, you will allow clean water to come to parts of the world that does not have readily available clean water. And you get to tell the story while you're doing the 6K. So many people asked us why we were wearing a race bib with somebody's picture on it why the shirts were orange so everybody could see them. Why was it a 6K and not a 5K? And by the way, the average distance, somebody that does not have clean drinking water readily available to them has to walk is six kilometers there and back. You are representing how far they have to walk to get to a drinking source. And I said clean water. I've seen some pictures where these people have to get their water from. It is everything but clean. And a lot of the problems that they have health-wise come from these contaminated water sources. We can help this and we can actually have fun with each other doing it. You can sign up by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash 6K and you can join Team Scaling Up. We would love to have you. Or you can create your own team with your own company. And it's such a great way for you to bond with your team while doing such a worthy cause. And you can find out more by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash 6K. Scout Nation, today I am going to introduce you to one of my best friends in the water treatment industry. I hope you enjoyed this interview. My lab partner today is Bob Lee of R2J. Bob, how are you doing? Trace, I'm doing fantastic. Good to be with you. It is good to be with you. I've got so many Bob Lee stories, some appropriate for the podcast, most not, but I have got such a memory full of things that we are going to hash out on today's podcast. I may be concerned. We probably should have gone over that in your contract, I'm thinking. <sighs> yes, I think we are. you're right. I should have an attorney look at that more closely. Your fault, but here we are. We're going to do it. Bob, do you mind introducing yourself to the Scaling Up Nation? 
Well, I'll keep it brief. My stepfather and I founded RTJ in 1982. Uh, I was uh, fresh out of college. I, had, I wasn't even out of college yet, but he had taken an early retirement from uh, oil and water services. So we formed R2J and I started working. About 1992, he retired and I became president of R2J. At the same time, I discovered AWT, got to involved with AWT because I needed, as a small company, I needed help knowing what I didn't know. 1995, got my CWT. I got involved with the technical committee, which is what happened. And I started meeting people at AWT and eventually somebody convinced me, Jay Farmery, to run for the board, which I remember him saying, I said, I don't have time to do that. He said, oh, don't worry, you won't win anyway. And I did. <laughs> That's what you want to hear? <sighs> I did. And I ended up serving, I think, about eight years on the board, became president and had a great experience with that. And uh, we just continue to, to grow. And now we've made it through a terrible recession and pandemic. And we continue to grow and employ folks down here. Well, Bob, you mentioned the Association of Water Technologies, and that's where you and I got to know each other. And we really started to appreciate each other when we both served on the board together. And you were president the year before I became president. And I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but I learned so much watching you lead. You have an exact opposite style to myself where you can process things internally. I don't have that ability. I have to say everything out loud. And a lot of times I get myself in trouble. But during your presidency, we were dealing with issues with the certified water technologist exam. And there were some issues with that. And we wanted to make sure that that always stayed above board. We ended up taking the CWT. So you could not take that test while we were working out some issues with it. And the issue was resolved and we were rebuilding another test. And I remember I was getting excited over all these issues and, and you were very even keel and you allowed me to know that I was being heard and I could ramp myself down a little bit, turn the knob down a little bit. And you were just so good at giving everybody what they needed on the board, it was so helpful as me being president-elect that year and learning so much from you. I don't know if I ever told you that. I just wanted to thank you for such a great example of leadership. Well, thank you. I hope all my employees are listening to this conversation. Well, they should. Everybody, every water well, treater sure should listen to Scaling Up H2O. And you know, while I'm thanking you, there's, there's something else that I don't think I've ever told you. And it was something that happened at my very first AWT convention. So I was 20-something years old. I decided that I was too insubordinate to work for anybody. So I had to start my own company. And I got the advice from somebody, if you're going to be in the water treatment industry, you have to join the Association of Water Technologies. I didn't know any better. So, okay, I, I wrote a check. Probably couldn't afford it at that time, but I did it. And then they said, and if you're going to be a member, you have to go to the annual convention. You have to. There's no choice. If you're a water treatment company, you got to go there because everybody that you're ever going to buy any products from, they're going to be there. And you're going to meet so many people that are going to help you with your business. Didn't know any better. I went there. Well, I got there and everybody knew everybody else except for me. And I remember 
that I would go to the minglers that they had and I would start talking with somebody and somebody would talk to me until somebody better, in my words, came along and they'd say, oh, excuse me, I got to go talk to Jack. And then I'd talk with somebody else and the same thing would happen. Well, then you actually came over and you spoke with me and you asked me about my company. You asked me about how long I was in business and you started asking questions and you and I had a dialogue and then somebody walked by and you turned your head and I was waiting for you to leave saying, oh, I've got to go talk to Sam. You didn't do that. You said, oh, uh, I'm going to go talk to Sam. Let me come with me. I want to introduce you. And I now became part of that conversation. And you introduced me to so many people during that first meeting, people that I didn't have the courage to walk up to at that point in my life and say, hey, I'm Trace. I just started a water treatment company. I want to know more about the association. And then later that night, you saw me standing alone again, and you offered to buy me a drink. And then at the bar, you again introduced me to people all around you. I don't know if because of what you did, I became president later of that organization, but I honestly don't know if I would have gone to another convention had you not done what you did. So thank you for, for giving me that, for that act of kindness. It really did shape everything that happened after that. Wow. Well, thank you. I was going to say great guy syndrome. That's me, you know, but I think probably my first three or four conventions I went to, I knew nobody and stood around, didn't know anybody, just so out of place. And you've had Uncle John on before, but he was the only guy I knew, John's Brita. So anytime I saw him, I ran over to John. And I know he got sick and tired of that. Best part of going to the convention, being part of the AWT, is the people that you end up getting to know. And that's what makes it so valuable, right? And you experience this, I'm sure now it's hard to walk through the trade show and actually see anything because you're constantly stopping and talking right. with people that you haven't seen for a year, which is awesome. But yeah, we've come a long way from the, the first conventions we went to. And I know there's people out there listening that are experiencing the same thing. And the advice that I would have for all of you is, is one, you've got to put yourself out there. If you're not introducing yourself to other people it's difficult to break the ice and you've got to be the one to, to break the ice. For all the other people that they're getting introduced to, I would encourage you to lean into that person just like Bob did with me. Bob, I don't know how many years we've known each other. It's got to be over 20. And I can't come up with all the things that I've called you about that you've helped me with, the, the things that we've gotten each other through because of that initial conversation. And it all starts with that initial conversation. So the first conversation is hard. It is difficult when you don't know people, but that will soon end if you try to get to know people. And, and because of what you did for me, and you might've heard me ask people this, that I meet new at the convention, I will say, who's somebody I might know that you want to meet that I can introduce you to? And I've connected so many people with that phrase, and a couple of them have actually written back to me on an email or, or given me a text or a phone call and said, thank you for doing that. I was able to do this because this person was, had the right answer for me, or they introduced me to somebody with the right answer. So all this to say, 
Water treatment's a lonely profession, especially when you're the owner of that company. But even if you work in it, we know that we can become an island. There is absolutely no reason for us to be islands. You and I are members of the Rising Tide Mastermind. We help each other all the time by getting people further along an issue that they're just starting that we've already suffered through. Life's too short to do it alone. Right. You know, while we're on the topic, another way to get introduced to people is to, if you're fortunate enough to get to a convention, but you don't even have to do that. You can serve on a committee, right? And that's a, a great way to meet 10, 12, 20 people, whatever, however many people are on the committee. So there are other ways to get to know folks. Bob, I think you have been elected, and you don't know this, but you have been elected out of all the water treaters. You are probably the kindest and the person that just everybody likes. Nobody doesn't like Bob Lee. And I used to tease you about Happy Gilmore. And on that, of course, everybody loved Bob Barker. Everybody loves Bob Barker. But on Happy Gilmore, the movie, Happy Gilmore hated Bob Barker, and it was so weird that, you know, he hated Bob Barker. So I think you're the Bob Barker of water treatment. Really? Well, let's get to the bottom of this. Why is that? I think you're very disarming. I think people can come up and have conversations. You lean into those conversations. You ask questions about those conversations. I don't know. I just, uh, everybody I talk to ask me, why haven't you had Bob Lee on the podcast before? And that's because you're the Bob Barker of water treatment. <laughs> well, yeah, now I'm getting a big head. That's really nice to know. I mean, it's pretty easy. And I don't know if this is a smart thing to say, but I never feel like I'm the smartest guy in the room. Everybody is always, I'm always more interested in what, what they've got to say, I think, than what I think they want me to say or so, um, but it's nice to know. That's nice to know. I didn't know that. In the mastermind, especially on the board, you would not always be the first person to talk. You would always listen to other people. I had no problems being the first person to talk or talking over people. That's one of, one of the things I've got to work on. When you were leading, you did a great job with that. But I always remember when it finally came your turn to speak, the way you spoke, you would validate what everybody said. And what you would say about the particular issue was always a turning point. It was always very profound. And it was normally a, a different viewpoint that wasn't opposing what other people say, but acknowledging that. And, and you just brought so much calm in a board that had a bunch of people like me into it. Well, again, when you have a lot of smart people, you need to listen. Well, I didn't say smart. I said loud. Well, no, they were smart and loud. Some of them were loud. Some of them were both. You're right. But yeah, when you have smart people around you, you should listen a lot more than you talk. And typically, I'm trying to clarify, make sure that I understand what it is we're talking about. And sometimes it's just because I'm trying to understand what the heck you guys are talking about. But building consensus is what you're doing as a leader, trying to make sure that you've listened to all the different viewpoints and then come to a conclusion of what is the best direction to go, the best path to take. You're far too humble. A lot of things that we do in the mastermind I share here on the Scaling Up H2O podcast, and something that we did was the temperament study. 
and we learn that we all have different temperaments. And I've had Kathleen Edelman on this show twice. So if you haven't heard that, I, I always encourage people to go back and listen to those shows. Every time I talk with Kathleen, I learn something new. But we learned that there were different temperaments. And what I just described for myself, I come from a red temperament. And I speak the language of power and control. And Bob, I think yours was the green temperament. Was that right? Yeah, I'm heavy green, heavy blue, actually. And green speaks the language of calm and harmony. And that's what you always brought into that situation. Well, who doesn't like harmony? That's right. Who doesn't like Who's harmony? In harmony? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of uh, confrontation. So, yeah, the blue-green personality is, is certainly, I'm all over that. Bob, let's go back to something that you said in your introduction. You said that you have been a water treater for nearly 40 years. I'm curious, what's that like? 40 years, what are some of the things that you've seen? What are some of the do-overs that you wish you could take? Tell us a little bit about that 40 years. Do-overs, yeah, there's a few do-overs. First off, I can't believe it's 40 years have gone by. That's unbelievable. Because I view everything in, in lifetimes, 18 years, because that was like the first 18 years was high school, and you're getting ready to go to college. And then the next 18 years, you're 36, and that goes by in a heartbeat. You've got kids, and usually we've been married. And now I'm on my, no, I'm past my third 18 years, right? That'd be 54. So now I'm in my fourth 18 year set. It's ridiculous. But I do have some do overs. I was thinking about this the other day, and it comes up all the time when I send guys out to do chemical cleanings. But one of my big do-overs was uh, early on in the early mid-80s, probably. I was doing a descaling job on a condenser at a high-rise. It was Friday, and it was 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, as always. And uh, for some reason, you know, I'd hooked up my hoses to the inlet and outlet on one side of the condenser, and on the other side, there was a vent, vent valve, and I, for some reason, left that open. And this was a heavily scaled system. And I started pumping acid through that thing. And it reacted like acid does on scale. And, uh, of course, the vent valve was aimed right at the main electrical panel for the building. By the time I realized what was going on and got over to the valve, water, was, water gas, acid foam was spewing onto that panel. And flames were coming out. Oh, my goodness. Panel, and then, it, then everything just went dark. So I, Friday night, I shut down the power to a condominium, fire departments coming. It was a mess. Wow, what a story. I would like to do that over again and shut that damn valve. Well, Bob, I think you've inspired everybody because as bad a day as somebody's having, I guarantee it wasn't that. Yeah, that was a bad night. What did you do? I think I snuck out of there. Truthful. Maybe they won't notice. No, I, I hung around, got everybody uh, around that I could. And keep in mind, I was 20-something years old. I was really green and scared to death. And I'm sure I made some phone calls. It was so long ago. But I ended up leaving. I don't even know if I got a bill for it. I don't remember. But it was a bad deal. So you've had a lot of people in your company. Your company's very successful What's something that you make sure you do when you bring somebody new into your company? Well, we are looking for somebody who's going to be a hard worker, a dedicated worker, who is shares our values, and is looking for a career, really. 
what we have been successful at is that typically when somebody comes here, they maybe have bounced around, had different jobs. But once they start working here, what typically happens is they stay. We have people here who have been here as long as 33 years. My service manager has been here 33 years. We've got 20 plus year employees, many that are 10 plus years. So I think they do. I, like you say, you say it's always say it's like the best job in the world. And I think it's a pretty damn good one. Friend of show Colin Frayn has said this, and I think he's right. I'm curious what you think. They say when somebody new gets into this industry and they make it for two years, they're in it for life. Yeah, it's probably true. A lot of hard things happen in the first two years. What's something you think that everybody needs to do when they're early on in their career that will help them set up for success? I can tell you what I did, even though I kind of was raised in the business, but I didn't really know the water treatment business when I started it. So I would, I would take the books, you know, Nalco book or Beth's, Beth's book probably back then. That's what I would do at night. I'd kind of browse through the book, try to pick up on, on topics. And now there are so many ways to learn about your industry, to learn about the job that you're doing. You can just Google water treatment and there's a lot of just free information that pops up. And it's all correct. Well, there is that. But the, the point being, you have to take personal initiative on your time to get better at what you do. And, and you'll get more out of it. It's like anything else. The more you participate, the more you're active in something, the more you get out of it, the more you enjoy it, and the more self-fulfillment. There's, I think, a personal fulfillment factor that comes with getting better at something, whether it be sports or your job or your career. But that's kind of what we're trying to do here is, is make this a career path for somebody as opposed to just a job until I find something better. I've heard people say, especially the younger generation, that they're taught or they're expected in order to get ahead, they've got to move from job to job to job. That's not what you're saying. So how does somebody that maybe in college that's taught that you've got to jump around in order to improve yourself, how do you tell somebody like that, that no, if you stay where you are, there's a lot of good things ahead? I've said that that's what they're teaching in college. I didn't know that. I don't know that you can, Trace. I, I think the people that succeed here with us, they, they're looking for stability. They're not looking to bop from one place to another. And... I know they're going to give me grief about this. I don't think it's always about the money necessarily. I think it's about the money's important, but it's also feeling like you're part of something that's kind of bigger than yourself and that you are providing a value and a, a, a service that is needed to your customers and your clients. Just looking back at my own career, the first two years were really hard. I grew up with my dad and I didn't know water treatment. I knew how to make this bottle and so many drops turn one color from the original color. And then I would count how many drops and I would multiply that and I would write it down on a sheet. But I really didn't know what I was doing when I was growing up other than that. Then when I started getting a little bit older, when I got my license, my father started teaching me how to do some service. But again, I didn't understand a lot of the why. Later, he did share a lot of that. There was still a lot of mystery that I just had to find out on my own. 
he never taught me about business. He didn't, he didn't have his own business. So we never had that conversation. I'm just thinking as I, I asked you a question, I know it's tough to answer. I'm just thinking in my own career, if I didn't stick it out in that first two years, I would have not experienced all the wonderful things that I've been able to in my life. I wouldn't have met all the incredible people you and I wouldn't have met. And I just think what a shame that was. Uh, And there's so many people out there that don't give it a chance. And it is a hard industry. And it is hard to learn all that stuff. And everybody's not going to tell you everything that you need to know. But the payoff, if you stick in it and you do try to learn everything and you try to get better each and every day, we have a career like yours that's going on 40 years and just getting better brings to mind, I, there's a couple times when Bob, my stepfather, and I, we would go at it because even though he was always the smartest guy in the room, he was my stepfather, basically my father, basically. And, you know, you always think you're smarter than your dad, even though you're not. So there are many times when I thought, ah, dude, I got to get out of here. I'm going to find another job. And I remember going through the ads, looking for a, a different, just a different job. And I'm so glad that I never pulled the trigger on that. Because that would have been such a catastrophe. Because, yeah, like you say, my best friends now are all people I've met that are that do what I do. Because there's nothing that will shut down a conversation quicker than if somebody asks me what I do for a living. Right. Boom. It's, oh, and off they go. So at least with my AWT brethren, you know, we, you know, we have that bond. We know, we know and understand what it is we do. So we have... Uh, uh, have developed great friendships. Yeah. Bottom line, this is a hard industry. It's a hard job, but if you put into it everything that you can, it will pay itself back to you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Bob, over the last 40 years, what are some of the changes that you've seen in industrial water treatment? Well, when I started, we were still using chromate and acid. So that was a major change. I will tell you the biggest change for us, and I think you probably have a lot of younger, younger than me, a lot of your listeners probably have grown up in a world that there's always been a computer, but that was a huge change for us when the computers came in, as far as technology goes, and spreadsheets. Wow. The ability to put together a spreadsheet that allows your, uh, your sales team to generate quotes and what they're needing. That was huge for us. You mentioned chromate. My dad used chromate as well. He used to say that that was the best corrosion inhibitor ever. It was a great biocide. Nothing grew in there. So he would tell me that he would look at a cooling tower system or especially a boiler system and by how yellow it was, know if there was enough treatment in it or not. And of course, we didn't have biological issues back then because nothing can grow in chrome so the good old days right those were the good old days unless you were a fisherman which my stepfather was and uh, all that chrome ended up in the in the bays and killed all the grass so now it's a good thing it's gone but it uh, was an excellent treatment program i could use it in a couple places down here right now actually i don't remember when the movie came out i think it was late 90s aaron brockovich yeah. And I remember Stacy, my lovely bride, wanted to go see a movie and she wanted to go to Aaron Brockovich. 
Okay, that sounded like a chick flick. I did not want to go to this movie. We go to this movie and it's all about cooling towers. It was the best movie I ever saw. And it was all about how the power company was putting chrome in their cooling towers. They were releasing it out and it was having some bad health effects on a nearby town. Best movie ever is Scale Up Nation. If you haven't seen it, I'm sure you will pick up a lot from that movie and why we don't use Chrome anymore is actually the real story behind that movie. So, Bob, I'm curious. Have you seen that movie? I have seen that movie several times because it's a young Julia Roberts. And, of course, you had, of course, the same experience that I had. They're talking about cooling towers. How cool. (laughs) Yeah. Any movie where I see the cooling towers or chillers, because I think Die Hard, there's there's some pumps, LMI pumps uh, in one of the scenes. I I think it's a Lakewood controller and some LMI pumps. Yeah. Yeah. And I always mention it. I don't know why nobody really cares that I'm with. Oh, that's, I know what that is. I know what that's. That is the best part of the Die Hard movie. And I don't care what anybody out there says. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. A Christmas movie. Absolutely. Bob, being in business for a while, What is something that you look for that there might be a potential issue with one of your customers that maybe you're getting ready to lose it? Or maybe something, if it's not corrected, could allow something else to happen for them to seek an additional water treater. How can we learn from your experiences? Well, what I try to stress around here is perception is reality. And we've lost accounts when not the guy we deal with on a regular basis, but when his boss comes in from Miami or wherever and sees things that really are insignificant as far as the actual application of the treatment program, but they're visual. The labels are torn or ripped. There's, you know, the tank tops have are sticky because there was a leak and it wasn't cleaned up light algae somewhere on the tower where it really doesn't get enough water to get treated properly, but it's there. It's these things that are easy for us to take care and fix. But if we don't, there are potential areas where a customer will come in and say, I'm going to get somebody else. So I really try to stress to make sure all of our facilities, all of our treatment programs are organized and neat and clean because dirty system in, in some customers' eyes, well, in most eyes, it isn't working as well. So I kind of stress that. The water treatment part of it, I think we're pretty good at that. But it's the little things, it's the little details you got to really keep an eye on. Because if, if you're not paying attention to those details, then in the customer's eyes, the treatment isn't working as good as it, as it could be or should be. That is great advice. It reminds me of a story. We had a property management company that we took over because they were having some issues with another water treatment firm, and they were having to clean their chillers every single year because they just weren't efficient. They were getting scaled up. Now, Bob, we have very different water in Atlanta than what you have down in Florida. It is very hard to scale water here in Atlanta. you got to be pretty talented to do it, but yet these people, they did manage to do it. We acid cleaned the chiller, and we never had that issue again. But that's not what they noticed. Not at all. Not the fact that they were paying less money to operate that chiller. Not that they didn't have to pay a fee to shut the chiller down and have somebody come in and clean it. That was not what they noticed. They noticed one of our technicians 
sweeping the floor. What had happened, he was doing some sampling. We've got that flick that we do with powder pillows, and occasionally those things get away from you. So he flicked a little bit too exuberantly, and it went behind all of our mix tanks. So he didn't want to leave it there, and maybe he didn't have enough for his entire route. Who knows? But he cleaned that area up, and uh, just by going for that packet, he noticed that there were things that fell down there that, that weren't his. So he started cleaning that area up. Well, then he had a clean spot and it stuck out like a sore thumb in this mechanical room. And he said, well, heck, I've got the broom. Why don't I just sweep the entire floor? Well, right then the head engineer walks in, sees him with a broom, sees him with a dustpan, and he about falls on the floor. He said, I didn't even know contractors knew how to use a broom. <laughs> to this day, and that had to have been at least 10 years ago, to this day, he still reminds me of that. And we went from one building to 14. Keep your stuff clean. Yeah, keep your stuff clean. Yeah, you mentioned the flicking of the powder pillows. We just took over an account this week. And as we pulled the container out, competitor's container out, the guys noticed down at the bottom of the drum, dozens and dozens of powder pillows opened. That's where they were tossing them for their, instead of putting it in the trash. Well, Bob, we're now to phase two of the interview. We're about to commence the lightning round. Are you ready? Oh my God. The lightning <laughs> round. So it's anybody's game at this point. Uh, lots of people are betting for you. So there's, uh, there's an over and under going on. So it's anybody's game right now. Bob, your first question, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself on your very first day that you started this job, what advice would you give yourself? I was kind of puzzled on this. So I asked my wife this morning on the way into work, and she said, well, you would have used pounds instead of gallons. Because for our inventory, I made the decision early on to go buy gallons instead of pounds. Well, the problem is you buy everything in pounds. So there's always this conversion to get it into the books. And then you always screw up how much you're really putting out in the field. So our inventory is always off. So that's what I would change because other than that, I was an excellent employee from day one. <laughs> no doubt. Bob, what are some of the books that you've read? Books I've read or books I've finished. Now books I've read I got about 20 of them going at any one time because there's this guy who's got a podcast and kind of always promoting Audible. So I have like 20 Audible books now, some, somewhere in between. But um, I recently completed The Tattooist of Auschwitz, which turned out to be a love story. And, oh, I reread The uh, Lessons from the Mouse, which was a speaker we saw once at an owner's meeting somewhere. And that was really good. Uh, and Procrastination on Purpose finished that, and then <laughs> finally finished reading um, The Art of War. Oh. I sung soup. It sat on my counter for years because it's it was thick. It's big. But it turns out it's only like the book itself is only like 45 minutes. All the rest was commentary. I didn't know that. So I, I put that one away finally. Uh, so that was like the last three or four that I actually completed. When they make a movie about Bob Lee, who do they cast? God, who wouldn't want that job? Right? right? They'll be fighting for that one. Aye, aye, aye. 
and I had time to think about this too because I knew this was going to be a question. I uh, I don't know. Tom Hanks. I remember you and I were at a board meeting and Leslie Nielsen just passed away. Oh, God. And you and I secretly, to the annoyance of all the other board members, decided that we would make every motion as if Leslie Nielsen were there. And we made airplane references. We made Naked Gun references. I don't know. I could just see Leslie Nielsen playing you. You know what? I mentioned Tom Hanks only because he's, I don't know, he's average looking. But it would probably take a great actor. A thespian. Yeah. Oh, John Lovitz. That might be a good Acting one. brilliant. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> All the younger people have no idea what we're talking about. So look up, was it the thespian on Saturday Night Live? What do they call him? Master thespian. The master master thespian. thespian. Brilliant. 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 I was acting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bob. Last question. You now have the ability to speak with anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? Hey, don't you think Benjamin Franklin would be awesome to talk to? hundred percent. I'd be, I mean, I wouldn't be talking. I'd just be listening. Long line. Such a life lived, right? That'd be really interesting just to, to sit and listen to him, hang out. I think he drank, so that'd be good. Yeah. Uh, a story that I found, somebody gave it to me. Uh, it said that Ben Franklin was, had one of the first formal masterminds, and he called it Huntus. And they had it around a tavern. They would drink beer and talk about issues. Well, that makes sense. Bob, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, again, you have meant so much to me throughout my career. Uh, you've become a, a great friend, a great mentor, and it's just been an honor to introduce you to the Scaling Up podcast. Trace goes both ways. Um, big admirer of you, and uh, thank you for this opportunity. And um, Looking forward to seeing you in Vancouver. Scale Up Nation, I've never told Bob Lee that story before, that I had a better experience at my first AWT function because he leaned in a little bit more. He introduced me to other people. He wanted to spend time with me. And that's what I remember when I was having such a rough time not knowing anybody. I didn't know anybody, but I knew Bob. And then Bob made sure that I knew more people. I don't know if I would not have been president of the Association of Water Technologies had it not been for Bob Lee, but I'm pretty sure that I would have had a very different outlook on what the Association of Water Technologies was. So Bob, thank you so much for that. I'm glad I was finally able to tell you that. Uh, I don't know why I never told you that before. And let that be a lesson to all of us. We go to events all the time and sometimes we're very popular and other times we are just not feeling like anybody cares that we are there. Nation, if you can just take one person and say hello to them, and I love the question when I do this with people, and if you have met me at a convention, you have probably been the recipient of this. And by the way, the reason I do this is to pay it forward from what Bob did for me. I will introduce myself, we'll have a conversation, I'll see if there's anything that I can do for you, but when we leave after our conversation is complete, I will ask you if there's anybody that you want to meet that I might know. 
And if there is, and I know them, I will walk you over to that person and I will introduce you just like Bob did for me. And I encourage all of you to do something like that. When we're kind to people, it's just amazing all the great things that happen. We enjoy being there a lot better. So next time you see somebody just standing around, get to know them, see what you can do for them. Somebody that I've gotten to know and somebody that does something each and every week for all of us is James McDonald. And here is Thinking on Water with James. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about, drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about how polymer inhibits scale formation. Is it a stoichiometric, one-on-one relationship? Is it a threshold effect or something else? What are the types of polymers used for scale control and do they function differently? Are some polymers better for scale-forming species than others? There's a lot to learn about polymers. Take this week to think about this aspect of polymers and scale inhibition. Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's Thinking on Water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. Scale Up Nation, if you have not wished me a happy birthday yet, now is your opportunity. Go ahead, just shout it right in your car, right at your speaker. Happy birthday. There you go. I heard it. Thank you so much for that. Nation, I love that you tune in each and every week. I love that we have an audience that we call the Scaling Up Nation. I love that we, one water treater at a time, are making each other better. And I love that I'm going to have a brand new episode for you next Friday. And until the meantime, have a great week. So many people ask me what a mastermind is. Does that mean in six weeks, I am going to be the best water treater that I can be through a training class? Folks, that's not a mastermind, that is a master class. What a mastermind is, is when like-minded people get together, we process issues, we form common bonds of friendship around each other, and we celebrate and push each other towards success. It is the key to so many people unlocking their potential. To find out more, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.